Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world, and things are changing so fast, it's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I created the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central place to connect with other L&D professionals so that we can share best practices, share challenges, ask questions, and get solutions that help us improve the way we work. Join today to get instant access to our community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, you can join for just $1 for the first two weeks and experience the community for yourself. And because you listen to this podcast, you can take an extra 10% off by using the discount code HOTSEAT, all one word. That's discount code HOTSEAT when you check out. Just go to our website, tdtt.us, and use code HOTSEAT. That's tdtt.us. Head on over there, use the code HOTSEAT, and we'll see you inside. Now enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you are joining me today for another great interview. Today, we're talking about HR and talent development and how you can also get out there to build your career in HR and talent development and improve the brand that HR has within your organization by connecting more with the business strategy and connecting more with people and taking a people-first approach to HR and talent development. My guest today is Tracy Sponnenberg, who is the Chief People Officer at the Granite Group, which is a plumbing wholesale company based in up in New Hampshire in the Northeast United States. Formerly a paper-pushing, compliance-driven HR person, Tracy became a people-first business leader several years ago and has made it a mission to help others do the same through speaking around the globe and writing daily on LinkedIn. Tracy is a bookworm and introvert at heart, and she started getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, and it changed her life for the better. And I asked Tracy all about that because she and I connected a few months ago, and I've seen 
all the great content that she shares on LinkedIn and Instagram and Clubhouse and Twitter and become a fan. And I was interested in talking with her about how and why she started doing that, as well as her philosophy on talent development and moving from the paper-pushing HR administrative person to that person who is more people-focused and really a strategic part of the business. I think you are absolutely going to love this conversation with Tracy. And I want to mention that I've invited Tracy to come as a guest speaker inside the Talent Development Think Tank community that I run, and she will be speaking with us soon after this podcast publishes. And of course, if you're interested in joining, head on over to tdtt.us. That's tdtt.us. The Talent Development Think Tank community is the number one place to go if you work in talent development to connect, learn, grow, and share, and connect with other people in the talent development world. We have guest speakers on a regular basis. We do open forum calls where we share and support each other, and we do networking on a regular basis as well. And I'm excited to have Tracy coming and speaking with us inside the community soon. If you're interested in joining, again, check out our website, tdtt.us. And if you're lucky, we're still running a promotion where you can join for just $1 to join for the next couple calls and check it out before fully committing. Again, tdtt.us, the number one place to go for anybody in talent development. And now without further ado, here is my interview with Tracy Sponnenberg, the Chief People Officer of the Granite Group. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Andy. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so excited to have you on. We first met I think through uh, maybe our mutual friend, Barbie Winterbottom and interacting on Clubhouse and then mm-hmm. LinkedIn and then connected and chatted and uh, shared our mutual affection for Grogu, the uh, little baby Yoda from the yes. Mandalorian and have you know just gotten to know each other better since then. And I'm excited to interview you today and really talk about the business of HR and how to take more of a people first approach. But before I do that, love to start with a little bit of your background. You know, how did you get to where you are today? Sure. So I am that weird person who knew what they wanted to do in high school and not only that, but wanted to get into HR, which was kind of transitioning from personnel to HR at the time. So uh, I've been in the field my entire career, which there are a few of us, but um, I think that that's a little bit unusual. Most It's a career most people stumble into. And uh, spent my formative years in the, the uh, beginning of my career at UPS. So I worked for a global company, really large company, part of a large team at one facility. And it was a great training ground, but I learned pretty quickly that that wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my career. So the rest of my time I've spent in smaller or medium-sized, mostly mid-sized pub, uh, private businesses, largely family owned. And I felt that that's where I could most have an impact on the business. And I really wanted to get to know people and get to know everybody instead of knowing that we had 1,000, 2,000, 10,000, 20, 40,000 people. So I wanted to get to know them. So the Granite Group is a regional distributor of plumbing supplies. So we sell toilets and we're based in the Northeast and we have almost 50 locations all over New England. Uh, That's great. And I've also had experience working for large companies and smaller companies and then running my own business. And I think, you know, everybody has their preferences. And you mentioned you you prefer working for smaller Mm -hmm. family run businesses. What have you noticed are some of the pros and cons about working for a smaller company versus working for like a huge, you know, enterprise like UPS? So you can get things done 
quickly. There's much less red tape. So you can, uh, I can work with my CEO if something needs to happen, it will happen. And I don't necessarily experience this currently, but I certainly have in the past and the con side at other companies that uh, the resources often aren't there. So the money to fund different projects or the money to support people, um, adding people to the team aren't always there. So there's a lot of things on both sides. For me, the pros far outweigh the cons, but those are kind of the the two big things for me. Yeah. Anything that where you have an advantage working for a larger company that maybe you wish like, oh man, I, it would be nice if we had this, a corporate cafeteria or something, even though we can't go to those anymore. But like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I haven't really had much of that envy. I did get a chance to visit um, the Google, the Google Chicago office in, uh, gosh, it was maybe 2018 as part of a conference I went to. There was a part of the conference that was held there and we did a tour and, and everything and they had a cafe with a barista and it was all free. So that was kind of the one time I had large company envy as if somebody, I could yeah. go up and get free coffee, free espresso all day because I'm a, a big fan of that, but that was pretty much it. I'm, I'm very happy in this, this world. I'm, I'm with you there. I love running my own business, but as a corporate consultant, I've worked with a lot of companies, visited a lot of offices over the years, and I do love a good corporate cafeteria and you know coffee bar, especially when it's all free flowing. It's like, oh man, it would be nice to, to be here. I, similar experience, 2019, I think I went to visit friend uh, Kevin who works at Facebook in Chicago and we had lunch there and it was just like open salad bar and great food. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, this is nice. It would be nice to come here every day, but then you got all the commute and everything and you know, pros and cons to each their own and everybody's working from home now. I don't know what's going to happen with those corporate cafeterias in the, in the future, right. but we, we digress. Um, another thing I want to ask you about when it comes to building your, your career, mm -hmm. I have noticed in getting to know you and following you just over the last couple of months that you are very out there in terms of building your brand, sharing content regularly on LinkedIn, joining conversations on Clubhouse. You, you share stuff on Instagram. I follow you everywhere. And this is despite, you know, you mentioning being a, a big introvert and, you know, uncomfortable sometimes around a lot of people. And yet I feel like you're doing this better than almost anybody I know in the corporate space, what motivates you to, to share so much content and build your brand out there in the, on social media? So it was a, a really slow evolution and I don't look at it. I still don't look at it as building my brand. I still mm. don't think of it as strategic. I know a lot of people do, and maybe I should, but mm. I'm a full-time practitioner and I didn't even dip my toes into social media outside of Facebook, I think until, I don't know, three or four years ago, I had a LinkedIn page, but I didn't do anything with it. I had a Twitter, but I didn't do anything with it. And it wasn't until I met people in the wider HR community on Twitter that I started to interact. And I looked at it as really a, a, a community, right? And I, I had friends that I met on Twitter, which was crazy to me, friends that I had never met in person. So yeah. As an introvert, it's hard for me to meet people. I hate going to events cold. And, and so I found that a really comfortable way. And as I got more comfortable, I started doing things outside of just liking things on LinkedIn or just sharing an article. Um, it actually wasn't until about a year ago that I started sharing regularly. And that was 
kind of driven through the the pain of my mother's illness and, and subsequent death during the pandemic and what we were going through as a company and as a family. And, and it was a way to share that. And I found that people really responded. And so I try to post something every day and it's a, it's more for me, I think, because I enjoy doing it. I like to write and I don't mm. have the time to sit down and write long articles. So it's a way for me to get my thoughts out and I share a mix of my thoughts, things friends are doing, things I'm doing and things my company's doing. Yeah. So you don't even think about it necessarily in terms of, oh, I'm, this is strategic. I'm building a brand. Nope. It's more of like, nope. I just want to share what's going on with me, my thoughts yep. to get that out there. And um, hopefully it helps others or it helps you connect to others. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Twitter's my community. LinkedIn is my sharing with the wider world. Facebook's for friends and family. And for me, Instagram's for my daughter. My stepdaughter is um, uh, 17, almost 18. And I started getting on Instagram just so I could first of all, see what she was doing. And then it turned into, I started posting Mm -hmm. and she likes all of my posts and um, you know, I'm doing things with my husband and she, but right. so she sees what I'm doing in my work life. She sees what we're doing together. Yeah. And, um, I think that's really cool. So she'll comment, Hey, that coffee looked really neat that you bought. And, and it's a way to connect with a 17 year old. That isn't, yeah. it's not always easy to connect with a 17 year old. Right. I like it. So yeah, you mentioned Twitter, which I don't use very much LinkedIn, which I'm on all the time and Instagram I use on a daily basis. Uh, you've also been very active on clubhouse as well. You and I have interacted on there and been in part of uh, multiple rooms. There's a lot of HR rooms now going on clubhouse. Our friend Barbie Winterbottom runs some great rooms on there. Mm-hmm. I've been running some rooms on talent development that you've come into. So what do you think about clubhouse so far? I like it. I, I uh, got a text from Barbie one day. Like, hey, you want to join me in clubhouse i'm like i'm not cool enough for that because at that time it was super exclusive she's like i have an yeah. invite i'll send it to you so great yeah and um i i think it's neat because you can get involved with it i've been on in rooms when i was cooking dinner or you know checking email and mm-hmm. listening in so for me i look at it as a way to learn um, and I have a standing room on, on Fridays and I pop in where I can, I don't do as much as I used to because it can be just overwhelming, it's but time suck, yeah. I think it's fun. I think it remains to be seen if it's the next big thing forever, or if it's yeah. a, a thing for now, but I think it's really fun and I'm learning a ton. Yeah. And if you're listening and you, you're like, what is clubhouse? I think of it as it's a new social media platform, audio only lots of conversations. I think of it like attending one of those giant conferences with multiple breakout rooms on different subjects yeah. and it's going like 24 seven. So you're just like, yeah. what room do I want to pop into today? And you can jump on stage and participate, or you can just sit back and listen and learn. And there are rooms on every possible topic you can think about, including you know, HR and I've run some rooms on talent development, on career development. And I know you're running some rooms uh, in the HR space and Barbie is as well. So there's a lot of opportunity on there. Uh, It is as we record this in uh, April, 2021, and it's still uh, iOS only. So uh, Android users not able to get on there yet. Although I know a few who have converted just to get on Clubhouse, which is pretty amazing. Hopefully soon. I think, and I think you can use an iPad and, Mm -hmm. um, I, my biggest heartbreak to date with Clubhouse was I'm a massive pop culture nerd, huge, mm. you can see by the the Grogu, and yeah. I've subscribed to Sirius for years to listen to one show. Um, I, I'm an Entertainment Weekly Charter subscriber, and they did their okay. first Clubhouse room yeah. on Tuesday night, 
And I was so excited. It was eight o'clock. It was going to be the two hosts and special guests. And I, I listened to the show yeah. when I was traveling. I listened to it every day. And now I listen to it whenever I go for a walk. And I was all excited. And like 9.03, it started at eight. I remembered. I went, oh no. And I logged in and they were just kind of, um, just kind of finishing up and I'm hoping they do it again. But yeah. that's a tough thing with Clubhouse because there isn't really an easy calendar way. You have to mm. ma manually do it. You can't really save it. And, um, but there's so many things from entertainment to vaccines to oh, yeah. support groups to there's everything in there. Yeah. I remember my moment like that was after right around that whole time with the, um, the GameStop fiasco in the stock market and Robin Hood and all that stuff that was going on. It was a Saturday night. I'd taken my kids out somewhere and then I popped open Clubhouse and there was this room with the CEO of Robin Hood and these other executive, you know, experts talking about the whole thing going on Wall Street. And I'm, I'm not big on pop culture, but I'm really big on, on investing and the market. And I love following that stuff. And it was just fascinating listening to them talk about it. You could be a fly mm. on the wall listening. And there's so many celebrities on there, um, yeah. experts, people you might follow. So yeah, I've really... I've enjoyed the platform, but as you mentioned, and I've pulled back some too, because it can be a complete time suck. You could be in there all the time and then you're not getting your job done or right. other things you need to do. So there, like with anything in life, there are trade-offs and you've right. got to decide, you know, where you want to spend your time. So speaking of spending time, I want to shift our conversation a little bit. And you talk about moving from paper pushing to taking a people first approach. What does that mean, Tracy? So when I started my career, uh, HR was synonymous with compliance and administration and filling out benefit forms and filling out uh, change forms and uh, paying people and things like that. So that's really what I thought HR was. So I spent a, a giant part of my career chasing people around signing forms and was doing some innovative stuff. Uh, certainly, but I was firmly in the tactical and administrative camp. And, you know, about eight years ago, I had a sort of life change where I was unhappy and depressed and overweight and, and lost a bunch of weight, started exercising, which I still do every day, um, only because I really like to eat and love chocolate. So, uh, but that came, along with that came some self-awareness and, and I developed self-awareness and that helped me develop empathy. And that helped me see that really I was doing things wrong. And I was really leading in the, the way that was old and the world had changed and HR had changed and I hadn't changed along with it. And it wasn't until my current job and with my current CEO that I think I really adopted that people first mindset because he is, and that's putting our people above everything else and, and doing things that may be not strictly in the handbook and doing the right thing and, you know, putting people above profits. Um, you know, certainly profits are important, but uh, your people run the company, right? And you should fit your company to your people, not the other way around. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm a big fan of that. Why do so many companies lose sight of that, right? I mean, no matter what we're doing, no matter what industry we're in, and whether we invest in the latest technology or we have the greatest strategy, it's always people, people that have to execute on that, people that create new products and services, people that service our customers, people that get things done. And yet so many companies are just focused on top line, bottom line systems, processes, and not so much on people. Why does that happen so much? 
That's the way it always was. And a lot of companies get stuck in that. That's the way we've done it. And I think we started to see a shift years and years ago in the, the tech sector and where it was really hard to get people. And that's usually when you start to see a shift, when you start losing people or when you find it hard to get people. But I think part of it comes from, you know, how do you view your people? How is the company, how is the company, right? Is the company privately held, publicly held? Is the company owned by private equity? And, you know, who's running that? Who's ultimately responsible? And what is their vision for the company? So I've worked in public, I've worked in private, I've worked in private equity. And, you know, it, it certainly isn't the same everywhere, but there are some parallels. And if you're working for a company that um, is owned by a PE firm, that's a turnaround firm, they're not going to care so much about the people, they're just going to kind of move along. If you're going through a company that's going public, that may be similar. And I think that's one of the reasons I really like these, these smaller privately held companies, because you can really decide what that looks like. And I think it's certainly set at the top. My CEO is really terrific. Um, I took the job because of him and I stay because of him and he really sets the tone for the culture. And I think as a, a talent development professional, as an HR professional, that's something that I look for. Um, but I think it's also us too. If the person who's leading talent is that old HR or is that old um, kind of old school mentality, that may be what the company thinks of as what HR talent development should be. So it's up to us to learn, to grow, to educate, um, and also partner with our leadership and, and push and really push hard to, to change. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of change, you mentioned earlier that uh, you kind of hit this low point and you changed jobs and you did a lot of thought and, and self-awareness and developed a lot more empathy. I think self-awareness is such a critical factor to becoming a better leader, becoming a better person. And yet, you know, people don't spend too much time you know, with self-reflection and a lot of leaders don't really have much self-awareness. Can you talk about the importance of that and how people can really develop more or better self-awareness? Yeah. Uh, I think you can't really know and understand other people unless you really deeply understand yourself and unless you're willing to look at yourself, ask for feedback, look at yourself through your own eyes and through other people's eyes as well. And that's very difficult. It's very uncomfortable. And it's a journey that not everybody is willing to go on. But I wasn't being the best person that I could be. And some people know that and are okay with it. And some mm -hmm. people just have absolutely no clue. And I didn't really have much of a clue. And it took others kind of pointing that out. That was one of the things that kicked me off in a journey. And it took me doing an assessment. So we use the predictive index and it can be anything, but that deeply helped me understand myself. And I had done assessments throughout the years, but when somebody sat down and explained it to me and I'm an introvert, you can see I'm turning super red. That's my only tell is my neck turns really red. And I occasionally it. I break out in hives. It, like Ooh. literally I did a, a thing the other day. I just broke out in hives if I'm really nervous and then it goes away. So I knew that I was always an introvert and I always assumed that meant certain things. Like mm. I couldn't speak. I couldn't, you know, do, I certainly couldn't get in front of people. I couldn't, um, you know, speak up in meetings, lots of things. And then when I understood what that meant and that, 
you know, you and I are talking today. Um, I made sure there was nothing on my calendar after because I'm going to need some time to go for okay. a walk, be quiet, do, you know, just because yeah. it is intense for yeah. me. And so I knew what that meant and how, how it worked for me. And it gave me permission to really open myself up to new experiences. So I was really self-limiting for a long time. For over three years now, the Talent Development Hot Seat podcast has been proudly sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage Performance Group provides creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish, and you to be more successful at your job. The Advantage website has great free resources, including this podcast and an amazing webinar series that include topics such as innovation, future storming, inclusion, sales, leadership, and so much more. To get access to all of our free resources, as well as overviews of the solutions that Advantage offers, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com. Yeah, it's so important to understand that. By the way, I'm a massive extrovert and I'm doing five interviews today. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I know that. So that's a good... <laughs> but I think, but it's important for us to understand those things about ourselves and there are pros and cons, strengths and weaknesses to all that stuff. Like I've had to learn how to be alone and how to in, enjoy and embrace quiet space, right? And right. silence when my every bone in my body is saying, I need to fill that silence. We can't let one second of silence go by without talking or filling that space, right? Which can be really annoying to the introverts around. But just to dig a little bit deeper for the introverts who are listening, because not only are you you know, doing interviews like this, you're out there on Clubhouse, you're sharing content, you speak on stages, both uh, physical and virtual. And I think there's a connotation that, oh, introvert means you can't be around people, you can't be in front of people when it's really more about where you get your energy and right. you know what might drain you and then you need to get rest, but it doesn't mean you can't go do it. In fact, you might be even better at it than an extrovert because you can more focus in on that one situation. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think you you hit it absolutely right there. And um, yes, I do get my energy from, and I recharge by being alone. So back when we were doing the, the in-person conferences, I would make sure I was staying on site so that I would go immediately back to my room after, you know, rest for an hour or so and then get back out there. Things like expo hall floors are really challenging mm. for me. It's just over stimulating. So same thing, go for a while, go back. Um, in the past couple of years, I've gotten, well, pre-COVID, I, I got better about um, getting out there and, and trying to interact with people because I do like it. I yeah. like it. It's just hard. Right. And as humans, we tend to retreat to what's comfortable for us. And um, but I absolutely can speak. And I found out that I not only could, but that I got pretty good. And that was a surprise to me because I never set out ever, ever, ever thought in a million years I would be a public speaker. Mm. Never. And um, not only that, I found I enjoyed it. And it was a connection with people in a different way than I had connected before. And the fact that somebody enjoys hearing what I have to say is still astounding to me. And the fact that, you know, it, people will listen to me and then send me a message after, because I talk a lot about being an introvert. I talk a lot about my vulnerabilities and mm. I talk a lot about things that are hard. And 
it's one of the greatest joys of my life that that has an impact on people. That is just super cool. So I feel yes. like kind of called to share things like that because yeah. I've seen people who were like me just hiding behind a desk, yep. then get out there and do things. And that is so neat. Uh, I love that so much. And I want to remind people, vulnerability is power. And when you're willing to share that, that's when you truly have the opportunity to inspire other people. We don't get inspired by people that seemingly have it all figured out. We get intimidated by them, right? When, when people share their weaknesses, their struggles, and their vulnerabilities, that's when we really get inspired and how they've overcome those and, and use those to their advantage. That's when we really get inspired to make changes on our own. And, and speaking of making changes, I want to go back to this idea of HR and moving from people pushing to people pushing from paper pushing yeah. to people first people approach. First. Why, why do so many HR professionals get caught up in policies and admin and not really focus on the people when it's, we are in the people business? You know, and that's a question that I'm always trying to answer. And I have sort of made it a mission to try to convert those who are, are, paper first, two people first. My friend Michelle and I have a HR rebooted project focused just on mm. that. And, you know, I, I look at it this way. Here's a good analogy. I think um, when COVID hit, there were two schools of thought in the world of HR. There was, oh my God, what's going to happen to our people? How are they going? Are they okay? Are we, we need to take care of them. We need to make sure that we're communicating. We need to people, people, people. And then there was, wow, there's a lot of new laws. I need to spend all of my time developing policies and you need to do both. But you know, if your first thought in the morning waking up is oh, I need to draft this new policy, you know, your, your head may be in the wrong place. And I think a lot of us go into HR for the people and a lot of us lose sight of that along the way. And we're so caught up. We're usually underfunded. We're usually understaffed and there is so much going on. And so, and I see this a lot, and this is, I think one of the big points to your, your question. Um, there's a lot now that we can do to automate the day-to-day -day tasks like data entry, because there's so much between benefits and just new hire forms and all of that. But a lot of HR professionals won't take the time for that continuing education needed to learn how to do that stuff mm. when that's what they need to make their lives a whole heck of a lot easier. So it's just, it, that's a vicious cycle. Yeah. And we some of it's having, a mindset, yeah. a fixed versus a growth mindset. Some of it's a mindset too. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm big on that. I wrote a chapter about that in my book. And of course that book mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck had a profound impact on me. And I hope I want more people to embrace that growth mindset. I know you and I have talked about that. Yep. This also, this idea of, you know, focusing on policies and, and regulation and the paper, uh, it impacts our brand, our reputation as well. And I had a conversation about that with our friend Barbie Winterbottom inside the talent development think tank community yesterday, where we had a whole uh, session about the business of HR. What can HR do to improve our, our reputation, right? Because it's, it, it, there's sort of that negative reputation in a lot of organizations, right? Because, oh, they're just the paper, paper pushers. Yeah. They're going to try to stop us from doing the things that we want to do, or they're just the party planners. Like, what can HR do to change that reputation? So Barbie and I are lockstep in all of this, and she probably talked about her five imperatives, which I won't even try to, to yeah. cover because I'll get them all wrong, but I, they're all spot on. But I know she does touch on, you know, number one, understand the business, understand mm -hmm. the business. And she and I talk a lot about this, that you need to be a business leader who specializes in people. 
and you need to deeply understand the business in your industry. You need to understand technology. Um, you need to communicate and you need to get out of your office. And there's a million things you can do. And those, they're all things that are outside of the HR realm. So, you know, thinking like a, a business leader, actually talking to people, um, getting out there, thinking differently, adopting a growth mindset, and, you know, saying yes more than you say no. These are all things we're not necessarily used to. Yeah, absolutely. So many important things there, but I, I really want to emphasize understanding the business, having those conversations with business leaders, get out there, understand the strategy, how, and, and start to think, how can I play a role in that? How can I move the business forward? How can I add value? What new ideas do we have? How can we be more innovative instead of just, we're going to be in reaction mode and doing these things that we do. Now we're talking a lot about HR. This is a talent development podcast, right. uh, you know, thinking about developing people, Whose role is that, by the way? Who do you, how do you perceive that as far as like who's responsible for talent development in most organizations? So we look at it as a two-way street. It's, it's our role to provide that process and the framework and the infrastructure and the opportunities, and it's your role to, to step up and take it. So we are in the process right now of trying to develop a, a really personalized, curated, individual experience for all of our people, the whole people experience, including talent development. And that's my, my sort of North Star. And that's really, really, really challenging, but it's really, really, really necessary. The organization has to have these things in place, but as individuals who work for that organization, we really have to jump at those opportunities that are available. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's really about having those conversations, taking advantage of those opportunities, and then getting everybody involved in talent development, you know, from the talent development people, from the business side. Why don't more HR, and especially, I know you've worked in talent acquisition, work with a lot of talent acquisition people. Why don't they get more involved in talent development, right? We've got it. I'm an HR generalist, or I'm in, I bring the people in, but I don't get involved in talent development. I know you like to talk about how all of that needs to be better integrated, I think. Yeah. And I think that really varies by organization. And I think we're going to see a, a big move toward more talent development, specialist talent development coordinators, talent development departments. And they certainly, I think, exist in larger organizations and maybe some smaller organizations. But we just went through a, a reorg to a people department and we're still in the process of going through that. And we're not large enough to have a full standalone talent development department, but that is part of the, our people experience manager's role. You know, I, I think we're going to see this change. I think we're going to see this change. And I think we're going to see more companies adopt that because I think that that's the way that we're moving. But we have so many companies that are just caught up in the traditional structures that they, they haven't really embraced that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're going to see a lot more change, I think, in the near future. When we last talked, Tracy, you talked about making a shift to more of a culture of learning. And I know a lot of organizations are trying to make this happen if they haven't already. Can you talk about you know, what that means and what do you think is important to adopt in order to create that culture of learning? So we've tried a couple of times before, and it's one of our larger strategies that we're we're starting after we get through what we're going through right now, but it's that we're starting toward the end of this year. And what we're trying to capture is 
let me back up. What we're trying to do is get beyond, well, here's our LMS, here are the courses, go take them and here you go, right? We're trying to get beyond that and we're trying to capture all of the learning that happens in between the cracks of things. So we know that learning isn't just sitting down in front of your computer and taking an hour course. It's not sitting in a classroom for eight hours. It's those two minute, 30 seconds conversations you have with a coworker that, you know, five minute YouTube video that you watch. It's that, you know, that we have these, these 30 minute courses that you do. It's all of those things. It's those conversations. And we're trying to figure out how do we, put that together, how do we create a, an individual plan for each of our people to grow to where they want to go if they want to do that? And we have a lot of people who don't, who are very happy with where they are and they just need to kind of stay on top of things. But how do we do that? And you know, it will involve hiring somebody to help us figure that out. It's probably not going to be designing a bunch of courses. It's probably going to capture that learning that's happening and figuring out who's doing it best and how do we, we have 50 locations, how do we deploy that to all of our locations? So very much a work in progress, something I am incredibly excited about because it's so new and so different. And we're going to try to look at all of what's going on in the, the learning community and, and see if there are things that we can adapt to us. Absolutely. Another big shift that I know you're working on and lots of organizations are working on is this shift to better diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? DEI with more of a focus on that. You talk about some of the work that maybe you're doing in this area and that you think is important for other organizations to think about. I think like a lot of organizations and like a lot of individuals, we were asleep at the wheel. And we admit that we weren't doing a whole lot to be proactive. And we think of ourselves as a inclusive organization, but we certainly weren't doing anything to, to make that happen. So we built a uh, committee. Um, I don't know if we're going to end up calling it a committee or some type of uh, group or what we're going to do, but we opened it up to our whole company and just said, you know, we want to talk about this and we want to hear what you have to say. And what we found out was we had an incredibly wonderful group of people who were so happy that we were taking steps towards building a, a better company. Um, and I should say our CEO and I co-lead this and we're committed to increasing all aspects of diversity within our company. And we have a long way to go. We're predominantly male, predominantly white, and we're partnering with different organizations and we will be partnering with um, some consultants to help us on that journey. But we're going to look at everything. We're going to look at everything and how are we doing it and, we're, and starting with talent and how can we do this better? So I just finished a program with Torin Ellis, who I don't know if you know Torin, but uh, he's terrific. It was a co five-week cohort where we kind of dove in and look at, looked at real-world examples and tried to build a better DEI program. And it was really, really, really fascinating. And I learned a ton. He also challenged me on, he, he mentioned something about HR being administrative and I pushed back. So that was sort of, sort of fun at the end. And, mm. um, but yeah, it's, I think the big mistake that companies are making now is they're looking at it as an initiative and it's not, it's a work of a lifetime and it's something that's never done. Yeah. And you can't just say, throw something on your website and say, we're a diverse company. <laughs> Right. You, you you do the work and you yeah. do the work every single damn day. 
Yeah. And it's a moment. I mean, it's a movement, not a moment. And no. uh, we've got to keep working, keep working, keep having conversations and keep looking for ways to improve. And I, I love your approach to it. And I know a lot of organizations are taking that as well. All right. A few more questions for you. Uh, more rapid fire here. What, what's been your greatest accomplishment in your career so far? So I think professionally, it's seeing the people that I've had the opportunity to do, help develop um, grow and um that's been such a joy, such a joy for me to see uh, people on my team promoted and learn and grow. And I, I love that. And beyond my team too, personally slash professionally, it's been public speaking. So that's been, I never thought I would do it and I never thought I could. And the fact that I could and that I've spoken in some pretty big stages is still, I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself for that. So awesome. Uh, what's been one of your bigger failures or mistakes that you've made in your career? And what did you learn from it? So many. Um, so I called my boss by the wrong name the first time I met him. That was, I thought I, <laughs> I, I thought I blew that. It was, I'd used, you know, an old a nickname that nobody used anymore. And so that was awful, but no, I, um, I made a mistake years ago at my last job with a woman I ignored, I didn't realize um, and pick up on cues. It was my own lack of empathy, my own problems with self-awareness, uh, pick up on cues that she was having an issue. So she had to come to me and say, you know, I have a problem and it's you. And we talked about it and I wasn't checking in with her enough. I wasn't recognizing her. I wasn't, she was doing a great job. And my attitude was, well, you know, if I'm not telling you, you're, you must be doing right. 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 Because that was how I was managed. And yep. it was a huge mistake on my part. Thankfully, she didn't hold it against me. She's uh, doing terrific in her career. She's gone on to many, many different things and, but a massive shift in my, how I viewed my career and viewed myself yeah. in a positive yeah. way, a tough thing, right. but really, really positive shift. You know, and that lesson speaks so well to what's been going on with the pandemic the last year and everybody working remotely, that communication is so important. And I think there's always yeah. this assumption a lot of managers make that, well, if I don't hear anything from them, they must be fine, which is totally not true, right? We need to check in with people. No, we met for the first six months of the pandemic. My team met every single day, every mm -hmm. single day. And we still meet three times a week at least. Yeah. Uh, communication so important. Um, are there any trends that you're seeing or reacting to in the world of talent development that maybe we haven't talked about so far? I don't like to look at trends. I mean, I think there, I'm sure there are many, but I don't like to think of trends because that implies that something's, you know, here today and gone tomorrow, right? So I kind of like to look at shifts. And I think that there's a shift uh, in designing for the person instead of the company. And I think that that's a really important shift. And I hope that that sticks around. Yeah, I like that. And really focusing on the learner and the person and not just taking this broad approach. Tracy, has there been a book or maybe a TED talk that's had a big impact on your career or that one that you have been recommending often or lately? So the book I've been recommending the most lately is Redefining HR by Lars Schmidt. It's, it's mainly focused on tech companies, but it's a real great playbook for the modern practitioner. And in all aspects, talent development, any aspect of the people experience, it's really great. Um, and that's the one I recommend the most often. I've been hearing a lot of buzz about that book. I'm going to have to yeah. get that one pretty soon. And last question for you, Tracy, for anybody listening uh, in HR talent development is looking for a way to accelerate their career success. What's one more piece of advice you would give? 
Develop your network 100%. Everything good that's happened in my life um, happened because of other people, right? So it happened by reaching out to someone, taking a chance, you know, leaning on my network. All of these extra cool things that I've done have happened from getting really uncomfortable and getting out there and, and growing that network. Same here. I'm a big advocate of that. Uh, I think that people need to be building that network early and often. Uh, speaking of that, Tracy, for anybody listening that wants to connect with you or follow some of the stuff you're putting out there, where's the best place for them to go? So you can find me. I think I'm, I know I'm the only Tracy Sponenberg with Tracy with an IE on LinkedIn. And I'm at Tracy uh, with an IE Spawn on pretty much all social media from Clubhouse to Instagram to Twitter to now Peloton, which I'm very excited to Ooh. Finally. No, very excited. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Tracy, for taking time to come and share with us today. It's been a fantastic conversation. I uh, wish you the best of luck and thank you again for coming on. Thanks, Andy. All right, take care. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again and take care.